Valley Bible Church. It's good to be with you on this kind of venue, on this kind of platform. I know I'd love to see you and love to be present with you and love to hug you, shake your hand, give you a high five and do all those things, but we can't do that right now. But praise God, we have a platform like this where we can still uh, hear God's word together, listen to God's word. And so what we've been talking about throughout this series, and we started it last week, is how do we find comfort? How do we find comfort in our pain? How do we find comfort in our trials? How do we find comfort in just the crisis that we're in right now? Just in the the midst of this chaos, in the midst of this storm, if you want to call it that, how do we find comfort? We we talked about last week when we kind of unpacked the problem of pain. we, We said that the problem of pain really has three parts, three ingredients, if you will. First, God is great. God is in control, God has all power, God has all knowledge, a past, present, and future. The second ingredient is God is good. God is morally perfect, he's pure, he's righteous, he's holy, he never does anything wrong. And then thirdly, there's pain. Well, how can these three things exist together? You put them together and they make a very sour drink. It's really hard to grapple with the idea of God being good and great and there being pain. And last week we unpacked the idea that the Bible solves this problem not by subtraction, but by addition, by, by putting in another idea, and that's the idea that God had a goal, a goal to make human beings, a goal to make you, and a goal to make me, and to give us choice, to give us freedom, but in that freedom we chose sin, and then sin polluted the world with pain. All of our sin pollutes this world. This world is now fallen. It's futile. It's groaning, as the scriptures say. All of our pain is a direct consequence of that sin, of our sin, of the first sin and the sin that continues on from that. God did not create sin. God did not create pain. He created us. And we chose to move away from his ways, and that hurt us. Well, what does that do for us? Last week we said, well, that's helpful Because now I know that the presence of pain and the existence of God are not a contradiction. That I can believe in God and and, and see the presence of pain and know that they're not a contradiction. They both can exist. Well, that's helpful. But does that give you comfort? I would say a little bit. But the Bible gives us so much more than that. The scriptures give us so much more than that when it comes to giving us comfort. And in fact, today I want to talk about one of the best comforts the scriptures give us, and that's one of perspective. Let me tell you the pain that this helps me with. One of the the hardest pains that I've had to deal with was a gruesome pain that my family experienced when I was a teenager. You see, when I was a teenager, I had this cousin, and, and she was a little bit older than me. When I just started high school, she was 17, and so a couple years ahead of me, and she had this pet pig, which I just thought was the coolest thing ever, uh, that, that somebody would own a pig as a pet. That, to me, was just amazing. Uh, and so I kind of looked up to her. I thought she was cool, and, and, and she went to this party one night in October, and she went to this party, and there were some people there that weren't great people. And these people were affiliated with a local gang in the area that I grew up in. And and the police came and they broke up this party and and she was arrested and many others were arrested. But she was released because she was 17. She was still a minor. And so she got released and everybody in the group who 
got taken away by the cops said she must have done something. She must have ratted them out. She must have given them some information. She must have done something to get off. She didn't know this, and so after she was released, she called up some of her friends, tried to hang out with them again, the same kind of group, and as she was doing that, she went to this place, and then she started to notice they were all suspicious of her. And she started to realize that they thought that she was a rat. So knowing this, feeling this, feeling this hesitation, she, she tried to leave, and she tried to escape out a window at one point. She tried to, to flee, and she couldn't do it. They caught her, they stopped her, and they ended her life in a very gruesome, in a very terrifying way, a way that still gives me nightmares, a way that I'm not going to share with you in detail because it would do the same for you. How do we find comfort in that kind of pain? Yes, it's helpful to know that the existence of God and the presence of pain aren't aren't a contradiction. That's helpful. It's helpful to solve that kind of logical problem of pain and evil. But does that give you comfort when you bury a cousin who was murdered? I think it helps a little bit. But honestly, the most helpful thing for me has been to have perspective. And I want to show this to you in God's Word, in the Scriptures. Jesus is going to give this kind of perspective when he deals with pain in our life. And Paul, the great apostle, one of Jesus' first century followers, is going to do the same thing. And I want to unpack that for you. But the, the big idea I want you to take away from this morning is this. And when we think of pain in, 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 a, in a larger perspective, the perspective that Scripture gives us, pain really, and I want you to write this down. If you're going to take down one sentence, one note, I want you to take this down. The big idea is this. Pain is a storm in a teacup. Pain is a storm in a teacup. It's a storm. It's real. It hurts. It causes trauma. We feel it. it, it it's overwhelming. It feels like chaos. It's real. But in the perspective of eternity, it's a storm in a teacup. This life is eight ounces compared to the ocean of our eternal existence. Let me show you how Jesus kind of unpacks this idea, how Jesus, when he speaks of pain, when he speaks of suffering, when he speaks of, uh, uh, of just trial, when he speaks of oppression, specifically in this text, he's going to unveil to us this kind of large perspective and say, no, our present pain is a storm in a teacup. Let me show you this in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to start with verse 4. Luke chapter 12, verse 4 says this. I tell you, my friends, Jesus talking here to his disciples. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who will kill the body. Now, now stop there just for a moment. Why is Jesus talking like this to his, to his friends? Well, Jesus can feel the kind of opposition and, and animosity and, and tension between him and specifically the religious leaders of the day. He feels this, and so he's aware of this, and he knows that this may have dire consequences for his followers. If they're going to oppress me, then surely you need to be prepared as well. Jesus hinted at this just one chapter over in Luke chapter 11, verse 47, just how you can see how Jesus hinted at this idea of conflict already. In Luke chapter 11, 
verse 47, it says this, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Again, he's talking about the teachers here, the, the, the kind of religious elite. He says, your fathers killed the prophets. He's saying from the very beginning, before Jesus was ever born, all the stuff written in the Old Testament, if you unpack all of that, you'll see that God's prophets didn't always receive an applause. And in fact, most of the time, they were not welcome. Their message was not something that people applauded and cheered. It was something they said, get away from us. We don't, we don't want to hear that. And so they would try to, to silence them, and some of them would lose their life for what they did. And Jesus kind of goes on and says, it's not just the prophets. Look at, let's keep reading verse 48. So you are a witness and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute. What is he saying there? This is, this is happening to the prophets, but also the apostles. Those are the New Testament leaders. He's saying the history of God's spokesman has been one of suffering. So Jesus is telling his disciples, hey guys, get ready for this. This could happen to you as well. You could face what we often call martyrdom. You can lose your life because you're a follower of Jesus. So Jesus tells them, friends, don't be afraid of these guys. Now notice what he says. He says, don't be afraid of them. I'll deliver you from death. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid of them because I will rescue you from present pain. He doesn't say that. He says, don't be afraid when they kill you. Jesus is very much saying here, it is a real possibility you will lose your life. And this was an ever-present danger for Jesus' first century followers. Really, the first 300 years of the Christian faith was one marked by persecution. So Jesus is speaking these words out not only to his first century followers, but even beyond that. Look what Jesus says, gives them comfort in this. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that have nothing more that they can do. Notice that word there. Jesus says, after. Jesus' mind has an idea of there's an after. That, that death does feel like the ultimate threat. Death does feel like the ultimate danger. Death does feel like the ultimate storm. Death does feel like the ultimate kind of pain that someone can inflict on you. But Jesus says, nope, there's an after. There's an after. There's, there's a bigger storm that you should fear. There's a greater danger. There's a greater pain. Look what Jesus says in the next verse. But I will warn you. Whom to fear? Now, Jesus is speaking of another danger, and he's speaking in another subject of that danger. Let me tell you who to fear. Not what to fear, but whom to fear. And what does this person do? I says, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What is Jesus talking about there? Well, Jesus uses very vivid language that maybe is lost on us as we kind of first read this. It says, be, be, be a, a, a fearful of the one who has the authority to cast into hell. That, that, that term there is, is in reference to a valley. It's a valley, the valley of the sons of Hinnom or Gehenna is kind of the phrase. It was a reference to, to, to a place in the first century world. It was just 
southwest of Jerusalem, the Valley of the Sons of Henam, it was this, this trash heap, if you will. It was kind of their, their compost pile. It was where they dumped everything, and they would dump all their trash there, and they would burn it. They would even take uh, criminals' bodies, dead criminals' bodies, and they would throw it into this pit because they wouldn't be buried, have a funeral or anything like that. They would just be thrown into this trash heap, and this thing would burn. And the fires in this valley of this trash heap were always burning. That's the reference he's saying here. His disciples would know that. His first century hearers would know that. They would know the valley he's talking about. They know its history. That valley in the Old Testament was where the kings would worship false gods and they would offer child sacrifices. So, so the history of this valley was, was one of, of, of vivid, was vivid and, and very gruesome. So Jesus is saying, be, be leery, be fearful of the one who could send you to a place that is like this valley, a place of eternal pain. Jesus is saying there's a greater storm than death. There's a greater storm than disease. There's a greater storm than a crime. There's a greater storm than violence. There's a greater storm than a virus. There's this eternal pain. Now here's the hard question. That's the place. But who sends people to this place? Okay, this is not an easy answer. It's a tough question. Tough in the sense of it's hard to digest its answer. Tough and not to determine who that person is. Who sends people to this place, to hell? It's not Satan. Satan is not the ruler of hell. Satan will be a a resident of hell. He is not over hell. He will be in hell. If you fast forward in the Bible and go to Revelation chapter 20, one of the last chapters in the Bible, it's God who sends people to hell. Greatest danger in our life, the greatest storm we could face is to face God as judge. Is to look at God with all of our offenses before us, our our crimes of eternal significance, eternal offenses to God with eternal consequences, to stand before him with nothing to say, to give an account, to justify, to write, to pay off our debt, to stand before him and hear justice fall on us. Now, it's hard to grapple with that idea. Even as a pastor, it's hard to grapple with the the vastness and the, the, the scope of hell's punishment. It's really hard to grapple with that. But we have to realize that Jesus is not done talking here. That as Jesus speaks about hell and he speaks about very present and painful reality here, Jesus is going to balance this idea with great care and great love, which makes sense because if we just scan the entire Bible, God is not a God who wants us to face that pain. God is not a God who wants us to be victims of that storm. God is not a God who wants us to face hell. In fact, he goes through hell for us. This is the cross. The cross is Jesus Christ taking hell for us. Having that balance of knowing that God has great care for us, having that balance of knowing that hell is a reality, but that Christ loves us, that he would endure it, changes our perspective. It's truly hard to shake our fist at God 
over a punishment that he himself is willing to endure. But this is exactly what Jesus does. Jesus says before he gets to this, there's this great danger that we should be fearful of. But look at what Jesus says next. But there's a God of great love. Look at the next verse, verse 6. Jesus says this, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? An odd illustration to bring up after you speak of a description of hell and of eternal judgment. Jesus starts talking about birds. But Jesus has a point here. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? A sparrow was the cheapest kind of form of food. It was the, the diet of the poor. It was the cheapest thing you could buy. It was the top ramen of the first century world. It was a cheap meal that you can get by on. And Jesus is saying this, this poor man's diet, this, this cheap bird, the lowest of animals, God cares for them. God cares for them. Look at how he uses this kind of idea. Halfway through verse 6, it says, and not one of them is forgotten by God. This thing of, of really no significance or very low significance, God does not forget. God knows. Here's what, here's what Jesus is setting up here. Jesus is setting up kind of a, a minor major argument is what oftentimes we call it. It's where if a principle is true in this minor way, surely it must be true in this major way. If God loves birds, these cheap, top ramen food birds, then how much more us, who he's made in his own image? That's exactly Jesus' point. Look at how he transitions, verse 7. Why then, or why even the hairs of your head are all numbered, fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus then moves to us and he says, God has numbered every hair on your head. What is he saying there? God knows details about you that you don't even know. You can't number the hairs on your head. Now, maybe for some of you, that would be easier because hair has left that part, right? But the, the point is not Jesus speaking to those that aren't bald. Jesus is trying to give a point that God is meticulously involved, intimately involved with all of you and all your nuances. That God knows you more than anybody knows you. The corners of your personality, God knows all of them. And God loves you and cares for you. Do you see that balance there? This love and this care makes sense. This is what compelled Christ to the cross. It's what prompted him to take on such punishment. I love these guys so much that I'm willing to bear the punishment of my father on the cross. Again, I know it's hard to, to balance the weight, the heaviness of hell, but we have to balance that with the compassion of God. It may be hard to believe in a God who would send people to hell, but realize it's the same God who went to hell for his people, who went through hell on the cross. God wants to take away our eternal pain. Maybe not every pain, but our eternal pain. But there's more than that. More than just God wanting to free you from the greatest storm, more than just God wanting to free you from a greatest danger or the greatest pain. God wants to give you the greatest joy. Let me show you this in our second passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 
16. And what I think you're going to see here is that, is that Paul is going to unpack kind of very similar to what Jesus said, but he's going to give us even more. He's going to agree with Jesus here and say that, yes, pain is a storm in a teacup. That even if somebody were to take your life, as Jesus is instructing his followers about, if they take your life, that's all they can do. There is an after that they can't touch. There's an eternal after that they can't touch. And the loving God who cares about sparrows, who cares more about you, is more concerned with your after. And and is compelled in his love for you to solve that problem. But God gives you more than just the release of eternal pain. He gives us the offer of eternal joy. Look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says this. So we, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Just, just stop here for a moment. Just glance at that kind of paradox almost, that kind of ironic statement he just made there. He just said, we're doing kind of two things that are going in opposite, opposite directions. He says, In a sense, we are wasting away, but also in another sense, we are being renewed day by day. I'm going down, but also going up. I'm I'm wasting away, but being renewed day by day. Now, how how can those two things be true? What Paul is talking about is our our outer selves are wasting away, right? We we age, we we get older, we know this. It's harder to play with our kids or, or, or the grandkids or we're a little slower about getting up in the morning or our coughs always seem to get worse and worse and worse or we're sick or we have a diagnosis or we have a virus or whatever it is. We all feel it and I think... All of us have this sense of a consciousness of our frailty right now. That we are all, in a sense, wasting away. Getting closer to the day when it's all done. But notice what Paul says as well. But inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. What an odd paradox. But I'll tell you, I've seen this for myself firsthand. When I watch Christians slowly die. You know, I've been a pastor uh, for over a decade, uh, but have done adult ministry um, for a good amount of years now, and I've sat by the bedside of followers of Christ as they have passed or right before. And I'll tell you, it's one of the most remarkable things to witness, to see these people who are frail, who are, who are very fragile. To see the, just the momentary nature, as the Bible would call it, the mist that life is. To, to watch life leave their body. But at the same token, as their body is wasting away, you see a vibrancy to their faith. That their, their, their trust in Christ is more than it's ever been before. Their, their, their hope in Christ is more vital than it's ever been before. Their, their, their love for Christ is, is greater than it's ever been before. It, it, it's almost awe-inspiring. It's almost honestly convicting to sit in a seat next to them as they're suffering in their last moments. And to almost see them know the substance of their faith truly. I'll tell you, the dying grace that God gives to his followers 
is one of the most remarkable things to see. This is what Paul is talking about. We are wasting away, but yet we are being renewed day by day. It's like in here is getting younger and younger or more alive and more alive and more alive as we get closer to that eternal life. Now, how do we renew ourselves day by day as we waste away? Perspective. Look at how he brings it up. Verse 17. For this light, this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. There's that perspective. Notice how he phrased it. How does he talk about our, our, our present pain? He calls it what? It's light. It's momentary. What is he saying? It's not heavy. It's, it's light. It doesn't press us down and crush us. It's momentary. It's short. It's not long-lasting. It doesn't endure forever. It only has, in a sense, a glimpse of our life. It's a, it's a teacup compared to the ocean of our existence. This affliction is light and momentary. Imagine this coming from the mouth of Paul, an apostle who suffered maybe more than any, an apostle who would lose his life for his faith. Oftentimes, we see it in the book of Acts, and we know about it in the testimony from his letters, that Paul was one of the most persecuted of all the first century followers that we have record of. And yet this man who has suffered uh, uh, rocks being hurled at him, or people were intending to kill him, he's, being, uh, he's been beaten, he's been jailed, all these different things. And yet he would say, yeah, but it's light. Oh, it, it's just momentary. How could he say that? perspective. Right? Look at what he says on the other side. This affliction is light. It's momentary. But then he talks about it's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It's not momentary. Paul says the glory that we have is eternal. And he calls it heavy. It has a weight to it. Now Paul's going to get very practical right after this. How am I renewed day by day? How do I hold on to the perspective that, that affliction and pain is light and momentary? It's a storm in a teacup. How do I do that? Look at how he explains the how. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What does Paul say there? Here's how I'm renewed day by day. Here's how inside I get more alive and alive and alive and alive even as the outside dies. It's because I can see the unseen. And I can gaze at the eternal. I can elevate my eyesight to eternity. I can focus on what's out there. I can see the ocean of my existence and it's a gift of great joy. Perspective. Our pain is a storm in a teacup. Now, how does that help me? Personally, how does that help me deal with the pain of my cousin losing her life? Again, it's still very hard to think about what she went through, what she experienced. The details, which we know pretty extensively, 
as family members who were given reports um, and all the trial and stuff came out. To remember and try to put yourself in her shoes in that very terrifying moment. How does perspective give us comfort? Honestly, it still hurts to think of that night for her. But it's easier, it's easier in knowing that God had given her a release from an eternal pain, an eternity of that night's experience. It's a storm. It's real. It hurts. And some of you have experienced a pain that I don't know and never have known and none of my loved ones have known. And maybe you're thinking specifically right now of a pain that you've gone through. And it's hard for you to reconcile that experience with a God who's great and a God who is good. And I get that and I understand that. And I can't tell you that following Jesus means that God's going to take away every pain from your life. But I can tell you this, following Jesus Christ means he'll take away your greatest pain, your greatest storm that makes your pain look small, makes your pain look like eight ounces in a teacup compared to an ocean. God is offering all of us release from eternal pain and on top of that offering us the great gift of eternal joy so here's my invitation to you today and I mean today not not this week but I mean today after you watch and the service is over and and you've concluded kind of your time with your family or whoever you're watching it with I want to challenge you to do something I want to invite you to do something because I think this experience could really help change your perspective and your posture and just the way you're kind of working through this crisis. Last week, I, I asked you, and I saw many of you do it, I asked you to take a thankful walk, to just walk around and say, hey, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for that. And I saw that many of you did that, and I want to just tell you I appreciate you that you, you took that challenge, you took that invitation, and you did that. I saw many of you do that. You know, you outside, you kept your distance as was appropriate, but you were still able to do that. I know many of you just did it around uh, your living room, and, and that's okay, or in your backyard, and that's great. And I, and I hope that experience was really, really good for you. I know for me and my family, it was really good for us to get, to get a good perspective. But here's what I want to do. I want to I do more than that this week, is I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to walk around heaven. Now, I know you're thinking, well, how, how am I going to do, do that? I want to ask you to do this. I want to ask you to go to one of the last chapters in the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. If you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. It's the last book in the Bible. Just go all the way to the back, find chapter 21. It's the big number there. I want to, I want to invite you to do this, to read through that chapter, to read through it. And anytime you see something that surprises you, anytime you see something that catches you off guard, anytime you see something that just makes you stop and say, wow, I can't even imagine that. I want you to do this. Anytime you see it, it may take you a long time to get through all the verses, but anytime you see it, I want you to stop, and here's what I want you to pray. God, help me see this. 
God, help me feel this future reality. God, elevate my eyesight into eternity. God, help me see this. God, help me feel this future reality. I think if you do that, after you're done with that experience, I think it'll help you see that what we're going through, it's a true storm, and it's scary, and I'm scared, and it's okay to be scared. It's a storm, but friend, it's a storm in a teacup, and what you'll be able to get to see is the ocean of eternal bliss that God offers you, and in light of that, it'll change your perspective on this. Now, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. You would say, no, I, I want to call myself a Christian. I'm not there yet. Right? Maybe you would say, you know, I'm more curious about Jesus. If you're watching this and that's you, I want to tell you how encouraged I am that you would watch this. That you've made it all the way through this service. And you didn't turn it off or, or walk away or do that. I want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for the honor of speaking into your life. Really, I truly mean that. I want you to know that I was so curious about Jesus, so curious about spiritual things before I ever started believing in him. I started going to church before I ever believed about Jesus because I had so many questions and I was angry in those questions. So it was odd to sit amongst church members who were worshiping a God that I really didn't like. But I had so many questions. I was so curious and that curiosity found hospitality at the church that I was at. I want to tell you, you're going to find that same hospitality here. And the church would always invite me to follow Jesus. And that's what I want to do right now. Again, I want to be very clear to you. Following Jesus does not mean he'll take away all your pain. It doesn't mean he'll heal you of all your diseases. It doesn't mean he'll deliver you from all of your circumstances. But it does mean that he'll take away your greatest pain your greatest danger, your greatest storm. And it also means that he may not give you every joy. He may not fill your life with all happy moments, but he will give you the greatest joy. He will give you eternal joy. And my question to you is, will you take that offer? Will you follow Jesus Christ today? Will you see that what he offers you is so astounding? The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Eternal pain, separation from God, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wants to give it to you as a gift. Eternal life as a gift if you make Jesus Christ your Lord. I'm going to pray here in a moment. I'm going to pray for everybody who's listening to this. I'm going to pray for those that are following Jesus Christ. But I'm going to pray specifically for you as well. And in that prayer, I'm going to offer up a prayer that you can offer up if you want to start following Jesus today. And my hope is that you pray that prayer with me. Let's all pray. Father, we love you. And then we thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have delivered us from eternal pain. You've given us a hope that is unshakable. A hope that is strong, that is sure, that, it, that, it, that is just fixed in concrete. God, that's what you have given us in Jesus Christ. 
that even though we go through pain, even though we go through chaos, even though we go through suffering, even though we go through trials, God, you are the one who promises us release, relief from eternal pain, eternal sorrow, eternal agony. And God, on top of that, you offer us eternal joy, eternal bliss, communion with you, Father, forever. Father, I pray. I pray for the time that people are going to take in reading that last chapter, Revelation 21. I pray today, God, that you would make it so real to them, Father. Father, that it would just be like, like you're opening up heaven to them. And they can see it, feel it, touch it, smell it. God, they can experience it. Just as they read your living word, Father, that they can, they can know it and feel it. Father, I truly believe that that will change their perspective on this present crisis. And Father, for those that don't yet follow you, who are listening, but still haven't made that decision to cross over that line, to say, hey, today I'm following Jesus. God, I pray you'd reach out to them. Father, would you call out to them in a way that you called out to me? Father, would you call them in a way that only you could call them? I can ask them to come to you, but Father, you got to call them. And maybe you're listening to this and you feel that. You feel that, that God is calling you. That your heavenly Father is calling you to come home. If you want to come to him, you can pray a very simple prayer like this. And it's got to mean something from you. It can't be my words in your mouth. No, it's got to be your words from your heart. But if you want help in verbalizing that, you could follow me in this very simple prayer. You could say something like this. Father, I see. I see that I'm in need of your forgiveness. I see that my sin, my shame, my regret means that I should be judged by you. But I also see that you've provided a way for me to be forgiven of all those sins. I see that Jesus Christ died and he rose again as the sacrifice for my sins. And I see that I need to put my faith in you. So today, Father, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I make him the Savior and the Lord of my life. Today, I commit my life to following you. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. You know, I want you to know, if you made that decision to start following Jesus Christ today, that is a great thrill to my heart. But more than that, God is smiling right now on that. And I would love to connect with you. And I know we don't have the easy access to each other. But I want you to know, personally, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can email me. You can find my email address on the church website. It's very simple. It's Paul Crandall, P. Crandall at valleybible.org. P. Crandall at valleybible.org. I would love to get an email from you. If you are starting to follow Jesus, you want to know how do I start reading the Bible or doing those things, please let me know. I'd be greatly encouraged by that. Thank you, everybody, for watching this. We look forward to seeing you hopefully soon in this building. But if we don't get there the next week or the next week, we look forward to seeing you on this platform. Thank you for joining us.